Welcome back to the OWASP podcast. In catching up with an old friend, I discovered something interesting. I happened to be speaking with Brad Causey, and he told me about the approach he's been taking to fill vacancies at his company. It's an interesting approach, and somewhat goes against conventional thinking. Since he's found success, and he's certainly not the only person out there looking for cybersecurity talent, I asked him to come on the podcast to share what he's learned. Enjoy! Hi, it's Matt DeSaro. We're back with the OWASP podcast, and this time I've got a good friend of mine I've known for quite some time, Brad Causey. If you don't know Brad Causey, you should, but I'm going to give Brad a, a minute to introduce him to the people who may not be lucky enough to call him a friend. Brad? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Appreciate that, man. So yeah, right now I'm the VP of Offensive Security at Security 360 based in Birmingham, Alabama. My background is in application security, pen testing, and, and all things offensive security, basically for the last 20 years, I think that's how we met was like at a conference talking about pen testing web apps. And that was like in 06 or something. And so time flies, but yeah, just, I've just been doing it for a long time and I really love it. That's awesome. I think it was at the, uh, it, it was at a conference, but it also, we really hung out a bunch of that one OWASP summit. That was a blast. It was in Portugal, I think. Yep. The EU summit. That was a gr- good, good time. It was. Brad and I were catching up uh, a while back and he had talked to me about one of the things he does about bringing in talent, right? Because that's a general problem in IT in general, cybersecurity even more so. There's just not enough, you know, qualified bodies running around volunteering to come work for people, or at least it's quite hard to find when you're looking. So one thing that he said that really surprised me is he's really kind of focused on bringing in junior fresh out of college, entry level type of people and training them up. And I hear pushback at times about, oh, I want somebody, you know, it's like, hey, Kubernetes has been out for two years and I'm going to put up an HR rec for 10 years of Kubernetes experience. So I liked the differentiation that he did there. And I wanted to ask what motivated that? What made you make that decision to have some focus on entry level positions? So there were really a couple of factors. One of the biggest factors for me was when you and I started doing cybersecurity, there was not an entry, a way of entry into the field. You just kind of happened on it. You found a job opening and said, hey, can I have that? And somebody said, yeah. And there wasn't a lot of opportunities to get experience. So you just kind of had to grow up in the field. And the world has changed. And now there are tons of cybersecurity job specs out there. But there are very few paths for young people to get into a cybersecurity job. A lot of these jobs are reserved for people who have five or 10 years of IT experience, or even if you go take a cybersecurity degree at a university, the skill set that you come out with is inadequate to perform a lot of the jobs in the cybersecurity field. And so, A, I wanted to solve the problem of giving young people opportunities to get into cybersecurity. B, I also had my own problem to solve, and that was I'm now managing a team and I need talent. And, you know, going out there and shopping, there just aren't a lot of pen testers sitting on dice.com saying, hey, does anybody want to hire me? So I think the ratio to job opening from job openings to individual people looking for a job is really crazy right now. I don't know what it is exactly, but it's absurd. So finding the talents is hard when you do find a pen tester with a little bit of experience. They want a really high salary, which is fair. No complaints from me on that. But maybe I can't afford to stock my entire team with experienced pen testers. So 
I was like, okay, you know what? How can I solve this problem by myself in this small vacuum that I have? And that's when we started looking at really energetic, hungry young people coming out of college or coming out of these IT programs at the community colleges, grab them up. They're hungry. They want to learn and let's send them through training and give them some on the job training and see how they do. So it was a little bit of a gamble, right? We kind of threw the dice and it's been great. I wonder if you got from either coworkers or management above you or whatever, some kind of pushback of like, wait, we're bringing in these entry level, we're training them and then they're going to poof, right? Off to the next gig. Yeah. So I was lucky not to have that problem. When Secure IT360, the company I work for now, when they brought me on board, they said, we want you to build out a pen testing team, but we want you to do it your way. And they were super great. The entire management staff was like, we want you to do it however you want to do it. So having that flexibility was fantastic. I have to imagine in typical corporate America, you're going to have a harder time getting buy-in on that. But if my case can be any kind of ammunition for it, it it's, it's been massively successful. You've done this now repeatedly. What is, like looking back, what is your overall experience? Have you had some lessons learned? Has it generally just been positive? What advice would you give people who are contemplating pitching this or just doing this, honestly? Well, so first of all, just hang on to your pants because it, it is a a soul sucking experience at first because you got to understand these these people. You know, you and I have tons of experience. We've been doing this forever, and I think that we make certain assumptions about other people. Like, hey, you should probably at least know how to run basic Linux administration commands, except they don't. And so you will find yourself in a position where you're like, you're going to have to spend six hours of your day that you need to be spending doing other things, teaching this person a skill set that they don't have or supporting them while they go learn that, because it's going to be one or the other, either you teach them or you send them off the training to learn for themselves. And we found a combination of those works really well, but it is for every one person you bring on, you can expect 20 hours a week of your time being dedicated to coaching them, at least for the first six months, unless they have some other experience that, that make, makes them strong. Yeah, I've seen a similar thing with entry level folks where I made assumptions and what I finally kind of came to the conclusion of thinking about like, why am I assuming X when X is definitely not present is that, you know, for better or worse, you and I grew up with some pretty crappy IT and you had to get down into the weeds to make the stuff work. And you know what, if you and I started today and got handed a brand new shiny laptop that just always sort of worked there's a lot of stuff I wouldn't have learned that I had to learn because it was Windows 98 and that was a piece of junk <laughs> and it broke oh, yeah. a lot and I had to fix things and, and God help me, I got into Linux, which was very manual and it's getting way better, but like shoot back in 2000, that was kind of a make your own OS. So yeah, it, it, it's been super interesting interacting with less senior people and saying, well, yeah, of course you just X, Y, Z. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Wait, right. you, don't, you don't know what you're talking What? <laughs> okay. How do you not know how to unpack a Targi Z file? I don't understand that. You know? <laughs> yeah, I do that in my sleep. But XDVF, you just double click I mean, on it like... in Windows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've yeah. typed that a gazillion times. And, it's, and same thing about building Linux boxes, right? Like the amount of experience and value that I got from having to troubleshoot. Like, okay, my I can't get Linux to install on this thing. Why not? And I'm like rolling my own drivers because that's what you have to do. And these these folks these days, and I mean, I'm not picking on the younger generation. I'm not trying to do it in my day. We did it this way. But 
the reality is you go into DigitalOcean, you click two buttons and you have an Ubuntu box with SSH turned on and it's magic. And there's no like, okay, why, why are my disks not being recognized by the installer? So I do agree with that, right? So they have a harder time, in my opinion. I'm going to take a different approach to it than you kids need to learn what you're doing. It's really more that there aren't opportunities for them to learn. And they're going to have a harder time being successful when those big challenges hit, not having the experience of all the smaller challenges. Yeah, because it, it fundamentally, I mean, pen testing in general, but even just IT in general, it really the experience is obviously golden. But honestly, the ability to, to logically think through and debug a problem is huge. And if everything has always just sort of worked for you, those that's muscle memory you don't have. It is. Right? Yeah. Without a doubt. And, you know, the resources, they, they do have more resources available to them. There's not a program that exists today that's not full of stack tray stuff. And that's okay. But the having to pioneer your own way is a relatively new thing. And we have some people on my team that were not pen testers before, but were sysadmins. And there is a notable difference in mm. like, they run into a bump in the road and they just burn it down. Whereas one of my junior folks was like, Hey, I can't get into my email. I'm, I, I can't do anything today. It's like, bruh. And, and I mean, I'm exaggerating. They, they don't really do that, but you know. It, right. Yeah. But there are, there are cases where for older technology, it was a forcing function. If I wanted to do X and it didn't work, like I remember telling somebody about my first coding of C where I had this big, huge printed paper manual sitting on my desk to look up different lib C functions. And they were like, why don't you just Google it? I'm like, babe, Google didn't exist back then, my friend. It exactly. wasn't around. <laughs> yeah. I, I had to open a physical book. He's like, oh, that'd be awful. I'm like, I know. you know, like that's there all were I page had. Page numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like sticky notes on, on the useful functions in glibc. Like that that's how we lived. But yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do that today. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course yeah. not. And we've had those conversations internally with a lot of my junior folks. And it, and when they come at first, and and for those of you who are contemplating this, this concept of training up and building your own folks, you just have to be you have to be patient with them at first because in addition to them learning all of this new stuff, cramming it into their brain, there are going to be times where you're going to treat them like you would your own kid, where your kid comes to you with a problem and you're going to say, I could solve that, but you need to. So you really do take on, to some degree, a parenting role where it's less you forcing the knowledge down their throat and more you giving them opportunities to learn. I'll give you a great example of that. One of my external pen testers he did two years in a community college as a IT guy, just a regular IT associate's degree. And this is his first job, literally first job. And so as soon as he got settled in where he wasn't drinking from the fire hose, I was like, I want you to automate all of our active and passive recon for pen testing with Python. And so for months, he's just chugging away at it. And he, he does have some advantages and that there's some really good resources online to learn from, but I don't even want it automated. I just want him to do it as an exercise in learning because there's no better way to learn how that tool works than find to figure out why it won't run in a Python script. So those are exercises that I give to junior folks on my team. Another lady that, that's on my team, this was, she worked with me before I came on board at Security360, but she's my mobile pen tester. And I was like, I want you to create a methodology from scratch, like ignore everything that exists on the internet. And I want you to build it through experience and training from scratch. And she did. And now her knowledge of that process is exponentially more than it would have been if she just grabbed the MSTG 
MSTG. Yeah. The she mobile just grabbed, security testing guide. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, by the way, an amazing resource. Love it. And we are, we drink from the OWASP cup of Kool-Aid and we use the web testing guide for our web pen testing methodology. We use the MSTG for mobile, but I didn't want to just hand them that and be like, this is your new thing. Follow one, two, three, four, five, six. You got to be able to build it out to understand how it works. Yeah, I've had that same dilemma when I've done trainings, right? Because as a trainer, the, the goal is to get impart some knowledge to the group of people yeah. you're training. And I've, I've fought myself on which is the best way. And I'm still not 100% sure, but there's sort of a balance you have to strike between something that is highly scripted, where I can just follow one, two, three, and at the end, it looks like the screenshot and the directions. Okay, cool. Versus, like you said, go do this thing have fun and you know they're going to flail because as an instructor and also as a mentor or a, a manager of employees like nobody likes seeing somebody just flailing around getting nowhere but kind of have to bust the knuckles a bit to learn some stuff or at least have it really sink in so it's yeah. it's a very interesting dilemma trying to find that right balance you would, do. would you say there are certain resources that are useful like i always used to point people by this is dating me a bit but i used to point them at webgo right go Go play around oh, with yeah. WebGoat, or now it would be Juice Shop, right? Go play around with that and, and see what you can find and come back to me and start asking me questions. But do you have similar things like that that you use? I do, actually. So before I hire anyone, anyone in a junior position, right? Somebody who doesn't have any experience coming fresh out of school or whatever, I asked them to complete a project for me. In fact, we actually went to the local universities in our area. It's University of Alabama and Huntsville and Birmingham, places like that. We went to their cybersecurity groups. They have clubs. And we said, we're opening this competition. We're going to give everybody who gives a complete entry a $100 gift card to wherever you want, maybe a Visa card or whatever. And I want you to write me a web application that securely handles a login free form fields behind the login and is contained in a Docker container. And so we give these really loose kind of, it, it's an easy challenge. It's, a, it's something you do with a weekend and a couple of Red Bulls, especially if you're a college student. And, and so, but that shows initiative. It shows a couple of things. One, they're, they're, they have the ability to go out, learn a skill and build something with it, which is kind of the foundation that all of our work is built on. But it also shows that they will take personal initiative to go do something that's not required by their university or their parents or whatever it is. And so it, it just shows a base level of, I guess, aptitude. And so we've had a good response from that. I've noticed in my pen testing too, when I was doing that full time, like you're going to just run into random stuff you've never seen before. But you run Nmap, you find a thing. What is this thing? You Google it. Like I remember when I first, what was it? Uh, oh, shoot. It was a Tivoli product that was a reverse proxy. I forget what it was called. But the first time I ran into that, I never heard of it. I had to Google it. And then you have to go read the docs and kind of quickly figure out, oh, this is what this thing does. Oh, it's an edge device. Oh, it's a proxy that a bunch of apps live behind. Okay, what can, what can I do with it, right? What's And I mean, that's just the nature of a sort of pen testing beast. And even worse for web apps, because it's not like there's standard, I mean, there's sort of frameworks and stuff you use to make web apps, but you know, that's a developer writing code in any way they choose. So that's yeah. always one off. Yeah. And you, you actually just mentioned something that, that kind of tweaks something in my brain too, you know, for web app pen testers, we do require a pretty good aptitude of development. 
you really need to be a developer before you can be a web app pen tester. And so the guy who does the vast majority of my web app pen testing right now was a developer before, had built multiple applications. And so he had never done pen testing before. And so this was his first pen testing gig, but he took to it so quickly and he's so very good at it. He surpassed me within months. And I've been doing this a really long time, but he just, he, some people are programmed and he probably just has a higher IQ, let's be real, but, um, <laughs> you know, and that's okay. But yeah, so same thing with internal pen testing. There are some kinds of pen testing that you can't give to a new person. Internal pen testing is one of those as well. I had to hire a, sysad, a former sysadmin to do that because if you don't have a solid working knowledge of Active Directory, you're not going to oh. be an internal pen tester. Right. You know, yep. if you can't read and write LDAP, I can't use you and I'm sorry. And it's really hard to acquire those skills. It's not something I can send you off to SANS to learn. It's not like with some stuff, even to some degree, web pen testing, everybody on my team is required to get a new certification every year. And so we pay for the training. And you have to be prepared to take on that expense when you start hiring folks and you're bringing them on and, and training them up. But here's the cool thing, man. There are so many awesome training companies out there right now that charge pennies for some really good stuff. You don't have to go to SANS. SANS is still the gold standard. Don't get me wrong. And we send multiple people a year to SANS classes, but it doesn't have to be that. Microsoft and Amazon have some amazing cloud security classes online like CBTs that are fantastic and they're free. So don't discount a lot of that stuff. I think altered security is one, Black Hills information security. There's a lot of other pen testing firms slash security firms out there that do a glorious job of providing online training for almost nothing. It seems like we've kind of reached an inflection point too, because I can recall in the good old days when I went uphill in the snow, both ways to work or whatever, <laughs> right? Like it was, you were happy when you found anything related to pen testing, web app oh, testing, yeah. it was it stood out. And now it's the inverse. You like I think having a filtered or curated, I can't speak curated, curated list yes. of things is really useful because if you just Google like how do I pen test, well, oh wow, like yeah, eight hundred pages later, you've clicked on a thousand links, and you just have you know some of those are good, a lot of those are marketing fluff. And so it's hard to make that distinction. And then shoot, add Chat GPT in there where I can make a like. You know, ask ChatGPT, how do I pen? What are the five key steps in pen testing? And then I have a, you know, a, a blog post, wink, wink. It really kind of drives up the value of those better, more curated, more conscientious uh, resources. Sure. So we had to do that, right? I'm glad you brought that up because we have our kind of internal document management system that we use for our group. And there's a training page in there and there are approved training courses and approved training materials that we will pay for and that we recognize. And so you really need to be picking from that list because there are also, and, and I probably shouldn't call anybody out, but there are also some really poor quality certifications and training courses that I wouldn't send my cat to. And so we are selective about that. And there are minimum standards, right? So everybody on the team has to have Network Plus, Security Plus, because that's a minimum base standard of, if you can't speak to me in OSI, if you can't talk to me about the difference between an algorithm and a protocol, I can't have you talking to clients about why their you know, pen test went sideways. So we do have minimum standards. That's usually the first thing we do when they come on board is we send them to CompTIA 
and we're like, go get your network plus, go get your security plus. And then depending on what they want to do, if they want to get their pen test plus, they can. But then the, everything branches from there. What's your specialty? So the, the lady that does my mobile stuff, she's now getting into satellites. And so there's not a lot of training stuff out there for that. So she's going to have to fall back on her degree in aerospace engineering to figure out what that's like. But there are some similarities or IOT pen testing. So we kind of start everybody on the same kind of central column. And then from there, we let them choose as long as it's from an approved list of courses and certifications. Well, you've experienced this in your time too. Like the breadth of what people ask you to test has just exploded. Oh, absolutely. It used to be, here's our external network range, see what you can do. And now it's like, oh, we've got a mobile app. We've got this other thing. We've got an embedded device on a watch right? Or whatever. Like it just, it's all over the place now. So funny story about that. We just started doing medical devices about eight months ago. And yeah, and it came kind of out of the blue. And it was funny because we have a Huntsville office and a Birmingham office. And I had two devices, one shipped to me and one shipped to my team in Birmingham. And so one of my pen testers called me, he's like, what do I do with this thing? And it was some kind of like, it was an external heart. Like it, it did the things that the heart does. Right. I can't remember cardiovascular pump. So like when you're having open heart surgery, obviously your heart's not pumping. Something has to, this is the thing outside your body that pumps the blood. And it's got like a web interface and an app and all this crazy stuff. And so the next day when we had our stand-up meeting, I was like, I want you guys to understand something. Nobody's ever going to pin test something different. No matter what it is, it's got a port. It's got a service. If it doesn't, it's got a USB port or it's got some kind of interface. Like these are just little computers running some toned down version. So as much as I love the industry for its words, like IOT and shadow IT and all this crap, at the end of the day, man, we're talking about the same ports and the same services and the same attack surface that that we've always talked about. And so if you can do a PC, you can do a cardiovascular pump. Yeah. A couple episodes ago, I had someone talk about the the payment devices right there. That was kind of their bailiwick. Mm-hmm. And what it boiled down to is they're mostly unfortunately out of date android slapped on a thing with a special reader for magnetic swipe right for credit card that's all it is it's not it really is just mobile testing of devices that happen to be designed for payment it's not anything else and then you have really weird things like oh by the way they didn't turn off all the ways that this device can communicate so it has a cell and it has wi-fi and it has nfc and it has bluetooth and you're swiping credit cards through it all day long (laughs) <laughs> exactly. It was that was an interesting study in some of the basket case devices that he'd reviewed that were less than stellar. Sure, and and we run into the same thing because we do all kinds of crazy stuff. I've got two refrigerators back there that I got to ship back to the manufacturer that we just finished. But at the end of the day, it's literally an ARM version of Linux that's running on you know an embedded device. It's nothing fancy or special. So it just has a very strange case. It really does. Yes. And, it, and, a, it, it, and a gallon of milk in it. <laughs> keep your beverage cold. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that is but, funny how much the Linux has just taken over everything everywhere. Oh, yeah. Because as a manufacturer, like I can pay somebody for an OS or I could just grab it off the internet. I like to grab it off the internet. Sure. Yeah. And, and most of these companies, like when I get to interact with their engineers, they're just a regular IT engineer. They're not some like whiz bang IOT guy. They're somebody who just like last week stood up a Cisco switch and this week built a domain controller. And now he's building a refrigerator. And, and I mean, it's, it's not rocket surgery at all. 
you've kind of discussed what you do to bring them up to speed. How do you find these people? You mentioned going to university. Is there any other good places like rocks we should flip over to find these entry-level eager young souls to come in and, and, and be cybersecurity warriors? Yeah, there are. So the university is a great place to start because if you've gotten to that point, you at least have enough initiative to do something beyond the minimum from a school perspective. But we also look at club meetings, local security meetings. So like in Alabama, there I think it's called like the IS, ISSA, International Security Services Association or whatever. And they have meetings in every major city in the, in the state and in surrounding areas. So we go there and we meet folks. And these there are some really bright kids. Kids that are 17, like I graduate from high school next year and he's in an ISSA meeting. I'm like, dude, how did you even learn this existed? And so you will really find some go-getters that will just blow your mind. But that's our primary. We look at this. There's almost always a cybersecurity club at a, at a good-sized university. And so we look at that. We also look at community colleges and trade schools. There are a ton of schools that are doing MCP, MCSE level boot camps and stuff like that and going and talking to them. And that's what's really cool is all of these associations and all of these colleges and schools, they are eager to have employers come to them because at the end of the day, that's what they're trying to do for these kids is they're trying to prepare them to go out in the world and get a job. And if you come to them and say, hey, I'm willing to hire from your student pool, everybody wins across the board. It popped into my head. I wonder how effective, I don't know if there are some of those in uh, Alabama, I suspect, but uh, B-side conferences I've always liked because they're yeah. very low cost. They're volunteer run generally. They're kind of shoestring budget, but they're also high value in terms of the people presenting there. I went to a B-side San Antonio, I don't know, a month or two ago. It was fantastic. It was really a good experience. I brought my son who's a, just got out of his freshman year of CS. So I wanted him to experience like, this is the kind of stuff that, because he asked me like, what do you do in cybersecurity? And I'm like, well, here's this little narrow sliver that I play in, but there's yeah, same. this giant just, pie. Oh yeah. And there's tons of room there. There's a major deficiency. And, and so B-Side is actually a fantastic one. If you're looking, it, it kind of depends a little bit on what you're looking for. So like, for example, if I am looking for somebody to do more niche pen testing, like when we were talking about medical device stuff, I might go look at some of these robotics and engineering clubs because those kids, they tinker and they're super smart. Most of them have some programming experience because you kind of have to, to build those things. That's a good resource. And also just, just kind of think outside the box. Oh yeah. Develop development conferences. So we actually oh. went to, there was a DevSecOps, no Dev, DevOps conference in Birmingham. And we went there and met those people. And so a lot of times we'll set up a booth or we'll sponsor or I'll speak and ask people like, hey, come talk to me. We want to get you guys involved in the community. Yeah, that's beautiful. That is super beautiful. So we're getting a little close on time before I do sure. my final card trick. Any other final words of advice that, it, that you'd give the audience of things to think about if they're going this route? I really think it is important to bring in that next gen. At some point, you and I are going to get tired and put up our feet. And I want someone to be yeah. minding this door. Any other last advice or something I, I should have asked or forgot to ask? I don't think so, man. You know, the biggest thing is to be patient on time. You should expect, depending on the individual, six months to a year before they are independently productive. So that doesn't mean that they're not going to be bringing value to your organization, but I'm not going to bring in somebody and then two months later, turn them loose on a pen test, right? Because I can't do that to my clients. And so you have to have someone to pair them up to. If not you, there needs to be a senior person in your organization. So give it some thought from some, you know, next 12 months, next 14, 16 months, what that process looks like. Be thinking about those training initiatives 
So not only are you going to come out of pocket for any training that you send them to, you're going to come out of your pocket from a time perspective in getting them prepared. So it is a little bit of a lift, but you also get a ton of loyalty from that person, right? And that person is appreciative of what you've done. And we talk a lot about turnover in the cybersecurity community. It really reduces that. Yes, they're going to move on at some point, but it might be three or five or 10 years. And in doing that, you're doing everybody a good service. So I think it's worth it across the board. Well, and, and any manager or employer worth their salt is going to revel in the fact that the, this person that they brought up is now moving on to the next step, right? An yep. evolution that may not be where they hired them out of, right? But in, sure. in, I, I'm very appreciative of the fact that you called out that, yes, they may leave, but how long did you get quality work out of them? Exactly. Right? That's a big thing. And as an added bonus, you get a, a really smart individual for you know less money than you would have hiring an experienced person. So you're not giving everything away. You are getting something in return. And you know it's just, I don't know, it's a win for everybody involved as long as you have the cycles to put into it. And I imagine it, it also uh, reduces the baggage they bring in, right? Because if you hire a senior person with bad habits... That's something you got to, you got to change, right? Yeah. And I was worried about that too. When I was building my group from scratch, the culture in your group is really important. And if you bring someone up and you set those expectations and you treat them really well, it, it's almost like a group of friends and you kind of become this mini family and we just, everything just kind of clicks, man. We all get along great and everything just seems to work well. You bring somebody in from the outside, you really don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Well, th this has been super fascinating, hopefully useful to our audience. I think it has been for me, even just talking through this stuff. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shuffle some cards here. I'm shuffling cards. I'm going to pick one off the stack. Nice programming term there. You got the six <laughs> of spades. Oh, here's a, uh -oh. This, this is a really interesting one for you, my friend. What's the scariest thing you've ever done for fun? Hmm. The scariest thing I've ever done for fun. I, th I think it was last year when we were scuba diving in the Gulf and it was supposed to be fun until the shark showed up. And then I was like, and I was a new diver. So like, I was like, this is really cool. Look at all the fishies. And then the shark started coming into the field of view. And I was like, I don't know if this is fun anymore. That's the most, that, that's what comes to mind right away is like, you know, I was a little that scared. Would, that would be pretty darn interesting. I've, I've never been in water and close to a shark. I've done scuba a handful of times, although I had to fight the, I don't know about you, like the, I took scuba in college as a, which was probably pretty smart because they put us in a, like a water aerobics pool that was uh, like four feet, five feet of water enough that if you squatted down, obviously you're under, but you could stand up and get out of the water quickly if you lost your mind. Sure. And the, the first time I went under and tried to breathe with the respirator in was <laughs> you're just right. hyperventilating because you're like so your brain for my brain was yeah. just fighting me going this is wrong this is wrong yeah. i'm not designed for this yeah yeah it took me a, a good chunk of time to get to where i could just casually you know good input in the mask and go but whew, those first couple of times <laughs> yep to pass yeah. out hyperventilating underwater, which is just not going to be too glorious. But luckily, like I said, it's in five, four or five feet of water. So. Yeah, it's hard to drown. It's harder to drown yeah. in that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, this was like my second open water dive in the ocean. 
Wow. And so I had just gotten certified and yeah, we go down there and we're like around this boat and and I look over and like, you know, you have the field of vision just kind of drops off suddenly at like 80 or 90 feet. And so you just kind of see these big figures coming in and out of your field of vision. And then finally they come in and you're like, I don't want to be here with you guys. Like you can have this, <laughs> this boat is yours, my friends. I'm peace out at this point because I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'm going to go back to my land now. Thank you. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, I appreciate your time today. This has been super fantastic. And I appreciate you being open about what you've done to be successful. And hopefully some other people in the field can use these techniques to, to bring in the next gen of, of our cybersecurity peeps. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank Defect Dojo Inc. for making it possible for me to record this episode. Defect Dojo Inc. is a team of experienced technology and security professionals who build tools that actually provide peace of mind. They want all humans to sleep better knowing that their work is effective, their progress de-risked. Defect Dojo's flagship software offering is a security automation and vulnerability management platform that serves as a single source of truth. It can import results from more than 150 different security tools. It is a leader in the space with over 30 million downloads. Contact them at defectdojo.com for more information about their products and services.